Welcome to Podcast on Fire on the Higher Season 2 and 3. And uh, BMW Films followed up their popular series of short films we discussed last episode. Uh, they followed that up a year later with an additional three movies. And repping Asia and specifically Hong Kong this time around was John Woo. And in 2016, BMW Films brought us a gift on the 15th anniversary of the film series by debuting a brand new short called The Escape. And my name is Kenny B. With me is Paul Fox of the East Screen, West Screen podcast, helping us to close out um, the series of short stories featuring Clive Owen as the driver. So hello, buddy. Hello, I'm ready to roll. Yeah, ready to rum, 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 drive, drive fast and plan your next car purchase of a model that probably is not made anymore <laughs> right if you base like your likes and dislikes of models based on these shots i need clive owen to drive a minivan and then it'll speak to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're a family man you you need uh, you need space man to uh, to fit to fit everyone in there yeah cool uh we'll uh, get into it as quick as quick as we can some brief contact information first of all uh, this is podcast on fire we're dealing with uh, asia partly and uh, normally we discuss hong kong movies new and old and uh, as i said before i'd like to branch out to discuss western um, western creativity featuring asian talent every now and again i think that's fun so this is what we're doing here with the short movies anyway we are located on podcastonfire.com you'll find our choices of uh, shows over at our site we discuss japanese cinema korean cinema category free sleazy movies uh, and uh, what have you among other things uh, make your choice over there hope you find something that you like thank you very much for your support and all of that if you have any questions or feedback let us know podcast on fire at googlemail.com let us know your favorite bmw and uh, again you'll need to translate that for me after you've uh, emailed me your actual email so i'll know what you're talking about because again not a car guy and i'm not the guy that like i like watching these movies paul right like the, some of the chases are fun but put me in front of a fast and the furious movie and you'll i'll, I'll just grow bored by a minute two it, it's simply not for me maybe the more outrageous fast and the furious movies but the initial ones i saw part of one the first one and it was just like paint dry yeah, but it's about the family. It's about the family. I suppose. Like tw- <laughs> 12 movies in, who's keeping track of that story by now? I know they're flying out of planes and into trains and out of trains and probably soon into space. I mean, it, it's the old cliches of series. Like, if you've gone everywhere, where do you go? Yeah. Well, space, I suppose. You know, so uh, Fast and the Furious uh, in, in the year 20XX or something. <laughs> right. On Mars, right? <laughs> exactly. They, they freeze Jason Statham and The Rock and all those guys and they, they start pummeling each other with cars in space. It's going to happen. Probably is happening right now. Who knows? Anyway, uh, check us out over on Facebook. We have a button at our uh, website that leads us to Facebook, leads you to our Twitter feed, leads you to our iTunes feed, and finally leads you to our Stitcher radio feed where you can stream our shows. But uh, there's also applications available on the Apple App Store or Google Play from Stitcher Radio if you want to stream the entire network of podcasts on fire. And I write about Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies of a variety of genres over at SoGoodReviews.com. My video reviews, very basic video reviews, are over at sleazykvideo.com. Not always sleazy. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. Paul, my friend, East Screen, West Screen, the podcast that uh, covers um, similar territory like we do, but uh, you do it better because you're current. You know things about current cinema that I don't, so that's why I listen to you and try to emulate you badly. So where's the uh, where, where are you located, Chief? 
<laughs> no, no, no. We definitely do not do it better. We just do it. That's all we do. We are at uh, Comcast.com, and the show is East Screen, West Screen, where we talk about, when we can, current films from Hong Kong and uh, something relevant from Hollywood. Um, or, you know, more and more things that are popping up on uh, Netflix, um, because Netflix seems to be the destination for a lot of current Hong Kong cinema, especially if it's got Jackie Chan attached to it. Um, and so, yeah, if you like that kind of thing, do give us a listen. Thank you to Wellgo for that. You know, they're, yes, they're, indeed. They're, they're a prompt distributor of um, Hong Kong movies because w- they brought Chase, Chase of a Dragon to America uh, right for cinema release, essentially shortly after or even at the same time as it opened in Asia or Hong Kong. Yes, yes, they did. And uh, they've uh, successively brought over Railroad Tigers and uh, Kung Fu Yoga. Love them or hate them. I mean, at least they're there and available. I like Railroad. I'm going to watch Kung Fu Yoga eventually, but expectations are way down there. Yeah, but uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a musical break, and after that, we're going to talk some uh, background of the impact that uh, this series of uh, movies had. And we're going to conclude with uh, the three movies from season two and the one movie from season three. So sit tight, and we'll be back. How does it feel to hold a person's life in your hand? And welcome back. And uh, first, uh, before we start talking the three movies uh, from season two and the one movie from season three, our reviews of them, it, it's worth talking a little bit about the impact uh, the first season and the project in general made. Uh, they, these were made, as I said uh, before, for the internet. Um, there were a series of shorts dubbed The Higher. So they all had separate titles, but the main series was collectively known as The Higher. After the debut of uh, John Frankenheimer's Ambush, uh, the rollout of uh, four films um, uh, happened in the following weeks. And uh, they even screened uh, outside of the internet uh, to drum up some interest, presumably. Uh, Wong Kar Wai's entry, uh, The Follow was screened at uh, Cannes uh, particularly year to good reviews. And BMW actually saw a surge in their sale numbers um, based on these movies. That's, that was what their determination was anyway. Um, the movies were viewed uh, over 11 million times in four months, which led to uh, a physical DVD being made available based on that um, demand. And uh, you, you could get them at dealerships and you can get them from BMW. I got mine from BMW back in the day. And in the wake of the impact of the films, uh, Dark Horse uh, Comics uh, and BMW planned a six-issue comic comic book um, based on the main character of the driver. Uh, ultimately, only four issues were completed, and in addition, BMW Films uh, removed access to them from their website, as well as the films themselves in 2005. Uh, they cited that it was uh, too expensive to keep them on there, which I think is a lame excuse. Can't BMW afford a little... Um, a little little push by keen uh, viewership uh, on their service, but uh, you can you can just say flat out that we're not interested anymore in the thing we did in the past. We're moving forward, you know. Transparency, damn it! But uh, uh, anyway, the viewing numbers eventually reached over one hundred million in the four years. The higher was kept alive. We got the resurrection last year with uh, the movie The Escape, but um, the old series was not put back on BMWfilms.com. Uh, but again, you can find it across YouTube and uh, other video services, uh, I'm sure. And these were free movies anyway, made for the internet, so you're not ripping anyone off. 
these movies changed the game for advertisement to a degree as influences um, of BMW's initiative could be seen um, elsewhere uh, uh, to showcase their newly introduced model uh, Nissan uh, or Nissan uh, produced their own short film called The Run directed by John Bruno in 2002 um, Mercedes-Benz did The Porter in 2004 uh, Ford Motors advertised their 2015 model Ford Edge in a short called La Phantom or Phantome starring Mats Mikkelsen and when Luc Besson conceived of The Transporter he went on record saying he incorporated many elements seen in the hire including the usage of a BMW. So that's transparency. That's good transparency. Look, Besson just saying flat out, totes like that, totes doing it myself. That's the background the impact, and let's uh, roll back, if you will, to the second season of uh, movies. And we start with the Asian talent at hand. I think, I'm not sure this was the release order, to be honest. I think the third movie we're going to look at came out first, but so I'm going with my release order. I kind of like this release order better, so sue me. Anyway, the first movie of season two is Hostage by John Woo. And the plot is about the following. The driver, played by Clive Owen again, races to locate a kidnapped victim located in the trunk of an abandoned car somewhere on the water's edge. It's a little bit of a kidnapping um, situation and uh, some um, bargaining with uh, the person who kidnapped her and then the chase starts so let's uh, do the same um, same structure as we did last episode paul uh, you have the floor to rattle off your notes so what did you think of john woo's hostage yeah john woo you know it's instantly a john woo movie from the second it opens because of slow motion bullets falling on the ground or something. you know you know sorry to interrupt you but i think that was him essentially trolling everybody <laughs> like I, yeah. I haven't forgotten my old tricks so here here they are and he, he basically says that in the commentary, too. He's like, yeah, this is my style. You know, it's me. This is what I do. If It's it's either this or it's flying doves in slow motion. So that's what you're getting. It's a little bit different, you know, aside from those visual cues. You know, it it, it doesn't really feel like um, your standard sort of John Woo actioner. It's not a face-off. You know, it's not a hard target kind of a thing. But I think I think he uses Clive well in, you know, he creates tension in the sequence that he does you know it's a sort of a race to save someone kind of a thing but where i think he really shines is with the interaction initially between the driver and uh, the supposed kidnapper here played by character actor um, maury chaikin mm-hmm. and and they're both really good on screen together for the few moments they're there yeah, I, I, I thoroughly agree. If you look at the series, first of all, it's it's evident one thing in the three movies that it's, the project either has more budget or comfort because I think the second season feels more tighter and way more cinematic. They're, they're still short movies. They're, they're adhering to the length and all of that, but uh, the, it has a bigger budget feel in the... Um, in, in in how they look and how the action set pieces are put together. It, it's maybe a marginal thing in actuality, but I just think it um, something feels bigger here. Even though John, uh, as I said, trolls us a little bit with uh, the bullet cases falling into slow motion and stuff, and uh, you know the spinning barrel uh, uh, dissolves into a shot of uh, the wheels spinning the BMW logo and stuff like that. Uh, those of his uh, tricks and all of that, but uh, he he argues pretty well, uh, even successfully, that yeah, I could do stuff without guns. I can practice my action and tension beats merely using a big chunk dialogue scenes and then a a big chunk chase scenes and uh, you know he might have some old tricks sprinkled throughout but they're they're not evident as such and uh, 
that the, it, it's it's certainly not like John Woo's greatest hits or anything. So it's not lazy. It's not self-parody. Like, like I think Mission Impossible Two was to a degree. Slash, it might have been Tom Cruise insisting on all those John Woo stuff, all that John Woo stuff, because it just felt like that was the greatest hits. And there is story focus here. We have a disgruntled employee that more shake in place. He's he's there to sell that uh, very well. And and I suppose they did shoot in San Francisco. It certainly looks like it. But the, these. Uh, streets and these um these uh, hills they are rife uh, with opportunities to do jumps and do specific uh, moves with the car i actually think john really as you said you use it live on well because it's so cool to see the character kick into gear you know he gets out of the house he has the lady on the phone tries to find out her location and you know when he speeds off john is really good at just getting the pace to the ticking clock scenario off and running I'm not a car guy, as I said, but this car action gets me pumped. In, in a way, I think you could use footage from this one and put it into an advertisement, I think. Because there, there are some more clearer imagery. Amped imagery. That would fit an advertisement. Not the, that, that would just be sort of an out-of-context imagery. I don't think you can condense this into 30 seconds, his uh, particular story. But I think the, it's the one that ironically enough works better as an advertisement but it, when you're watching in full it's still story focused and chase focused and technically focused and all of that um, and i'm also happy happy to hear john woo speaking on the commentary that he was enthusiastic about this uh, what making this movie he said i normally make long movies it was fun to make a short movie and it made him it made me feel young again to to me it made me feel like i was 20 years old making short movies again so i i thought that was rather lovely to hear that um it was certainly not a, a dull job with a paycheck at the end of it. But uh, Robert, he embraced the challenge of uh, the format. So it was uh, rather endearing to hear that. Yeah, I think he mentions, too, that he's not really a car guy himself when it comes to doing a lot of uh, film work. You know, he's he says he's more known for, like, you know, his action gun battles and things. But he said it was really refreshing um, to kind of work on this and to sit down with the stunt coordinator and, and kind of plot and plan things out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, God, when was the last time he did a car chase in a movie that we remember? I guess bullet in the head to a degree. But uh, obviously that, that was not a scene just to have a scene, but it was story. Uh, it had story purpose too. And and gunplay once they smashed those cars, of course. So. Uh, but yeah, very, very cool. It's the one I return to a little bit uh, frequently hostage because I, I like the vibe of it and uh, one thing that i have to say that i appreciate and i know it doesn't sound like a big thing but i really appreciate that one they have clive here again uh, that they roll with the fact that we don't know his character as such his um where he's coming from but i also like that they keep him english because clive is english that they don't make it uh, they don't put an american accent on him just to tailor this uh, project so that everybody understands him or anything i, I don't know I, I just like the fact that within these wildly different scenarios clive gets to act in his normal accent which is perfectly fine and uh, not unexpected but i, I don't know i, I just kind of do uh, i kind of like that that it feels more natural to have him rattle off his dialogue and all of that uh, so Right, two options, both non-negotiable. First one, you tell me what's inside that case, I make the decision whether to keep driving it. Second one, I put you in the case outside the car, you take your chances. It's 27 miles to the destination. I'll just make it on the gas that I've got. You call it, or you're out. That's uh, Hostage for you. Let's move on to Ticker by 
director Joe Carnahan. Now, I think I've only seen his movie Knock. Oh, no, uh, I'm lying. I recently saw Five Days to Kill or Three Days to Kill, the Kevin Costner movie. Might have been five days, but uh, I bl- no, that was sir, that was Mac G. I think <laughs> that came across the movie. <laughs> Never mind, I, I, it wasn't too bad. Uh, anyway, I, I've seen Knock, and uh, Joe Carnahan directed that, and he directed Ticker at hand here, the second short that we're gonna look at from The Higher season two. And the plot is uh, the following: is about the following. The driver finds himself in a dangerous yet highly political situation. This time, persuaded by, uh, pursued by Robert. A helicopter gunship while carrying uh, while carrying a passenger with a suitcase, and that passenger is Don Cheadle, and the contents of that suitcase, which uh, will decide the fate of a nation. So there's things on the line here. Let me stop talking for now. Uh, Paul, the ticker, yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I think right from the moment it starts off, too, not in a sort of John Woo style, but still bullets falling, uh, except this time from a helicopter high above. I, something about that shot really it really took me in um, because that's not a it's not something you see I mean quite a few of these have helicopters chasing the car Um, but this one it's it's a kind of a low upward shot and it's more focused on the shell casings coming out of the helicopter onto the ground and it's really just I think a very interesting and and creative shot um, that you don't see too often when they have sort of a helicopter slash car chase yeah, that was. Um, uh, it starts quiet, and then you hit, uh, hear the little ding, 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 and then yeah. the chaos is on. I guess it jumps around as it sort of plays with the narrative here, because you've got at the start you've got Don Cheadle here as a courier, and you're not sure what he's carrying, and you've got Clive as the driver, and they're being chased, and then it jumps back to sort of tell some of the story of how they got to this point and then it gets catches back up and then it goes further and for me i really like that kind of storytelling where you start in the middle you go back a little bit to tell some backstory you come back to the middle and then you go to the end as opposed to narratives that start at the end and then spend the entire time telling you the rest of it and then ending right back where you started. Mm-hmm. I, I like a narrative that brings you back to that point that you started with and then goes further. Um, that's one of my favorite kinds of storytelling. So I really liked that they used that here, you know, to sort of develop out the narrative. And with this one too, um, when you talk about budget being bigger for the second season, I'm not sure uh, how much bigger it was, but this one has one of the biggest uncredited casts. And I actually had to, I actually had to freeze frame the first time I watched one. Like, Wait a minute, is that, is that, is that who it is? You know, it's like because they don't credit these guys. And then it was confirmed when I listened to the commentary. I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I really like this one a lot. Good storytelling. It's fun at times. It's got some big action pieces, um, but it's also serious. Yeah, I, I agree. It provided another good example of um, how you use these short story templates and especially how you incorporate the driver and his ethics, morals and, and character within the story itself, um, this particular short itself, because he he's universal. Clearly, he goes everywhere. He's uh, trustworthy, and he touches things like change in the world and hope in the world, as evident um, evident here. So it's not all about fleeing from danger, looking cool and collected, and uh, then driving off in slow motion in the sunset, and then boom, next sh- uh, next short. Um, so that is a characteristic I connect to, and and it's way more alive I, I know I'm, I'm sort of harping on ambush but I think it's um, 
you know, it wasn't my favorite. And here, the, the chase sequence is way more alive than anything we saw, really, in, um, in season one. So the project feels a bit more confident and well-funded. And, and the and mystery, too. The mystery case is uh, is a decent uh, a, a decent mystery, literally. And um, the flashbacks are made very clear. Uh, we get some context and connections, but not all of it. So Carnahan really spaces that out well and... Uh, puts the reveals in place in a clear manner and where they should be. So it's it's really unpredictable to a degree too because the case has a bullet hole in it at one point and it bursts out this uh, this liquid onto the windshield and just the Clive is just panicked like what is this? Is it biological? Is it toxic? It looks like uh, you know sewer waste all of a sudden just bursts onto the um, the windshield. So there is that element of uh, danger and, and Carnahan really is also perfectly okay using the shaky camera in um, in particular the flashbacks and the high contrast uh, style in terms of colors and uh, it's stylized but also very direct so he isn't um, he isn't as stylized as our next director that we're going to talk of uh, and uh, and yeah again I connect mostly to uh, the driver here he's um, he's not you know he's accepting jobs but he's not accepting being out of the loop so at one point he stops the car and says you gotta fill me in or there or this job stops right here right now it's it's quite well hand, handled and even poignant by the end uh so, certainly not shallow just because it's a short uh, format uh, and uh, i mean my memory of narc is gone by now but i do remember it being a, a good little showcase for uh, for the director maybe his breakout movie um i remember ray liotta was in it as um and uh, and there was about corrupt <laughs> corrupt cops, I believe. But again, I, I saw it probably around the time Ticket came out, just because oh, Joe Conahan, they mentioned Narc, I probably can rent that, so I did, and now it's gone. But but I do remember liking it. So there you are. Do you remember seeing that movie at any point or any other Joe Conahan joint? I've seen the A Team, which was you know okay for, I guess being a classic TV show remade into a sort of a modern era movie. Um, I think he's somehow attached to, rumored to be attached to the third Bad Boys movie, which is, I, I see dates f- for next year, um, which I'd probably see at some point because I, I liked the first two films. Um, but um, yeah, I haven't seen, I'm, I'm, I'm not well versed in a lot of his filmography though. No, exactly. Uh, same here. I didn't even know he directed, uh, directed those, but uh, still a working director yeah, for, for sure. Okay, kids, let's move on to the, to the third one. This is, um, <laughs> you know, if it was aired last, then... Um, Best of the series. It's the noisiest one to go out on. But I have a feeling they actually debuted it first, but I, I don't care, I want it lost. Beat the Devil by Tony Scott. And the plot, uh, decades ago, the legendary James Brown sold his soul. And James Brown, by the way, is played by James Brown. He sold his soul to the devil for fame and fortune. Now he wishes to renegotiate. Hired to take Mr. Brown to a rendezvous, vi- rendezvous with the devil, played by Gary Oldman. What brilliant casting. <laughs> the driver soon finds himself entangled in fiendish plans. 
I think I have a lot to say. I'm very enthusiastic about this um, movie, but uh, I'm going to follow the format and let you talk of Beat the Devil, first of all, Paul. So uh, it might have felt like, by the way, that you took your crazy pills before uh, watching it, right? I don't know, but um, I, you know, I'll say this. I, Hong Kong directors, you know, John Woo, Ang Lee, Wong Kar Wai, I love you guys to death, but this was my favorite of the run. It is funny. It's visually interesting to watch it's crazily cast it's got a great twist at the end uh it's got music it's got humor it's got action it's the most over the top even even a better than star i think and i loved it i just loved it he he described it uh, tony scott uh, like um it's 10 methods of 10 minutes of being on crystal meth uh, not that i'm saying that you know what that's like i don't but it's certainly visually, it doesn't sound like you thought it was visually indulgent, which is something Scott was criticized for throughout his career. I don't think so. I mean, it's got a visual style to it. And he speaks to that, um, you know, where he was kind of borrowing, you know, some of the things um, such as the throwing on of subtitles. And you've got, you know, larger than life, a larger than life character in in the idea of James Brown, uh, James Brown here. Um basically being himself, um, but in a very humorous way. And then, you know, this whole idea, the narrative is, is very much based on the Crossroads legend. Mm-hmm. Um, they made, they made a film with this, with, uh, I think Ralph Macchio back in the day. And it's based on the idea of this, you know, blues guy who said he sold his soul to the devil at a crossroads for fame. And, and that kind of thing has carried over into popular culture in a lot of ways. They've used the Crossroads Devil Deal and I think the Supernatural TV series. They use it here. And it's great. I mean, but it's especially great because it's associated to a real person in the form of James Brown. It's easily my favorite. And I, I'm, I'm such a big Tony Scott fan. And um, I mean, we lose celebrities and filmmakers and people we admire every day. And uh, you feel it if you admire people. and But if you're not personally connected to them, you move on. Tony Scott was, I was bummed, really bummed when I found out he, um, unfortunately, you know, by all accounts, he took his own life to 2012, I think. Because it, Tony's movies were, you know, throughout his career, they were visually driven and visually indulgent, uh, had a particular style that was very intense in terms of editing and cutting, especially around this time. But throughout his career, any style was for me. True Romance is one of my favorite effing movies man it is romantic but it has mood shifts into extreme darkness extreme violence and it's got the dream cast you know it was written by tarantino but it seems like it's one of those movies where everybody came to bat just because tarantino was in it but i i think everybody came to bat just because this was a cool script and tony is someone who can get this done that's why you got classic scenes like christopher walken dennis hopper confrontation but Tony's movies were comfort food, and they still are comfort food for me. Any style. I can watch uh, Unstoppable, uh, his last movie, over and over. I can watch Man on Fire over and over. I can watch Crimson Tide over and over. M- maybe Top Gun is the movie I'm not as uh, fond of, necessarily. But I love watching it just because I get to hear Tony talk about it in the extras and things like that. Uh, it's no wonder I like this the most, because... Uh, it's uh, Tony's stamp around, in particular around this time. This is a style he used for a couple of uh, movies, and and the decision to go all out rock and roll with this one, all out nuts, all out no rules, no rules whatsoever. Anything goes here. It's uh, inspired. I mean, we know the driver goes anywhere. 
But here's James Brown. Here's the devil, played by Gary Oldman, who fancies himself clearly as a wannabe rock star. But they, they, as Scott pointed out, he has a ship on his shoulder, the devil. He hates these rock stars. They come to me and they want this and this and this and that, 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 that. But still he dresses like, uh, you know, someone who who doesn't care about his uh, about his attire, you know, because he's a big rock star, man. Um, and he probably looked different the day before based on mood, you know, because he, he is... Um, Here's the devil. This was actually a warm-up exercise for Tony Scott. He doesn't mention it here, but he mentioned it mentions it during Man on Fire, uh, the supplements for Man on Fire, that this was the warm-up movie in terms of uh, the style he saw in his head conceptually with these uh, high-contrast images, uh, scenes where he uses hand-cranked camera and uh, gets that uh, sort of um, choppy effect across. And he puts some of that into Man on Fire in sections, not for the entire two and a half hours of it, but um, if you remember Man on Fire, Paul, it has similarities to um, to Beat the Devil in that uh, regard. But none of this is uh, indulgent or incoherent because it makes sense for this new no rules type of story. Any choice here is just mad and inspired. You know that impromptu concert that just happens in the middle of the room where they um where they negotiate james brown goes on stage danny trejo takes off his shirt you have clive here as the driver who who doesn't know this world just looking at you know you know you remember you might remember the shot of um i think when uh, the devil rolls out on that little um chair thing uh, maybe it's a wheelchair uh, in extravagant fashion the door flies open and you see a shot of clive twitching his face a little bit not saying it but inside saying the fuck <laughs> <laughs> okay i walked into something here but it's a job so i will uh, will uh, will move on so it's a mood that makes sense and it turns supernatural as well and uh, and scott gets off a big old stunt uh, towards the end evolving a train and he was always known for uh, using as little CG as possible, trying to do things physically and for real. And if you watch some of the behind-the-scenes stuff from Beat the Devil, they time it so a tr- uh, BMW goes over the tracks and then the train passes. That timing, if wrong, then is bye-bye driver, really. Because they don't drive the train slow and then crank it afterwards. So uh, so yeah, it's uh, 10 minutes of being on Crystal Meth, as Scott said, and I find it hyper and totally irresistible and um, easily the best uh, best of the shorts uh, across the two seasons I've, i love the follow but i think beat the devil is just this uh, um it, it makes me feel like a kid really uh, giddy and like a kid yeah it's great i mean the, you, you talk about clive and his reaction when uh, gary oldman as the devil sort of first rolls rolls himself out in a grand fashion but um still very odd i mean he's just He's almost like the Joker. He's wearing like this crazy getup. Um, they talk about him having basically looked at uh, Mick Jagger and um, uh, who's the other Stones guy? Keith um, Richards. Keith Richards, you know, as kind of models. Um, and I guess this is sort of pre-Pirates of the Caribbean, which I guess uh, Johnny Depp modeled himself off Keith, Keith Richards as well as Jack Sparrow. But, you know, he just gets this sort of crazy but fun allure about him then when things start getting really wacky i mean there's a point where they're talking about negotiating the new deal and james brown is like i got this idea you know and i'm gonna let my let my driver kind of kind of do it and gary ullman says hey is you know can 
can he rock or something like this? And Clive just he's game. He's like, yeah, I can. I'm I'm known to rock, you know. So 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 Gary's putting on like a real thick Cockney accent as well, being being flamboyant uh, in in many ways. Uh, so they're they're negotiating like they do, <laughs> and 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 when they put the to um, the Danny Trejo driver and uh, Clive Owen side by side, they do a little versus thing. They're both in a separate frame, and you hear like a little boxing bell go off, ding ding, and then they're off to the streets. Yeah, and th- there's a point too where Gary Oldman says something to him like. Uh... Do you like girls? You don't like girls, do you? And he's like, yeah, I like girls. And he goes, what? Really? You don't know what you're missing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, just, it's just great. It's, and, it's... and you hear Scott, and you hear Scott uh, do a little um, like vinyl scratch of the soundtrack. Everything stops like... Mm. So it, it's like a, it's like it's, some review mentioned, said like uh, Scott is like making rock and roll love to us with his camera, really. Uh, yeah. And, and no care in the world uh, in terms of that. So. And then the... The, the race, the actual race itself, where they're racing down the Las Vegas Strip, um, uh, he, he mentions that initially they were, I guess when they contracted out with the city to do it, they were only allowed to go 40 miles an hour as the, the max speed. And they were able to push it and finagle it um, to where they actually got the cars up to like 120 or something. Because he said, he said you, can, you cannot film a car going 40 miles an hour and make it look like it's racing, even with all the camera tricks in the world. It just doesn't work. So they were actually able to get that done. And I, I think he mentioned too. I don't. I don't. I wasn't really clear on, on what what stunt it was, whether it was the the car uh, flipping onto its hood or not. But they, he said, one of the takes didn't work, and it was very expensive because they actually had to reshoot it. it, it it's the final stunt where the car is supposed to go over the train and the fireball in the background uh, that stunt failed uh, one or two yeah. times he plays with time a little bit um where the, they're they're racing at night but then the sun pops up and gary oldman's look changes but it's still fantastically fun again it's my favorite of of all the the pieces did you uh casually or even actively explore his filmography throughout the years tony scott's uh, you know, I mean, I've seen quite a bit of his stuff. Um, he's got, you know, classics out there like The Hunger. I've seen, of course, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Crimson Tide, True Romance, Man on Fire, Top Gun, uh, Enemy of the State. I mean, I've seen quite a bit. I haven't seen everything. There's some stuff out there that um, I haven't seen. In terms of the Scott brothers, always a little bit more drawn to Ridley, even though a lot of the, st- you know, the stuff that he's done of late has not been great, as he kind of jumps back to the well of you know the stuff he did in the 80s but i think that as a director he's always made stuff that's been interesting and entertaining and easily watchable yeah he knows uh, how to create kinetic hyper images uh, not not always hyper but kinetic images like there's stuff in enemy of the state like even even when you get probably second unit shots of the helicopter like roaring through frame and things like that it adds to that beat of the movie and he was always good at that i don't know how official it is but there are you know um, theories out there that he was sick and he was medicated um and either it was the medication that made him have suicidal thoughts or he was sick to the point where he didn't want to live anymore and i, I thought it was a damn shame but he left a legacy behind him but i think he had plenty of juice still in in him as a as a creator the uh, last movie was unstoppable the train movie with uh, denzel and um, I I like it. I like it a lot. It has uh, it's very hyper too, but thoroughly likable um, ninety minutes and over and done with like that. Yeah, I mean, if if anything could have come out further from this series aside from Clive, I would want to see more of Gary Oldman as the devil. 
Mm, I hope sure. Uh, you know, just just dealing with different people, I would I think it would be great. It tops his uh, performance in True Romance as the um, drug dealer, the white drug dealer who thinks he's black and Jamaican at the same time. He has a glass eye, I believe, and dreadlocks. It's uh, it's all Gary Oldman extravaganza in that one, and uh, yeah, all good. I might be a little rusty right now, but I've been doing this for a long time. I'm very good at it. That only means your chances of failure increase with each outing, statistically speaking. The odds will be what the odds will be. Get out. You're dead, mystery man. You're dead. What happened then was a big old pause um, for many, many years. And when the, the series um, and the project reached its 15th anniversary, I knew this only prior to researching this show. So so thank God I, I found it out, because otherwise I would have missed some of the coverage. They made another movie. They made a, a sole movie for season three, if you will. Uh, where they brought back Clive Owen and what have you. And that movie is called The Escape, directed by Neil Blomkamp. Blomkamp? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> What's what, he famous for? Is that, is that um, alien movie? That's sort of found footage alien movie. I'm blanking on it. Uh, District something? Uh, Session something? Uh, yeah, District uh, 40, 51. Or that, and then uh, he did the Matt Damon sci-fi Elysium, I think, as mm-hmm. well. That's right. So they brought him in, and uh, the plot uh, goes as follows. The driver is back, played by Clive Owen, this time uh, in the employ of ruthless mercenaries charged with delivering a living human clone. A teenage girl that uh, knows only about the world she sees for the first time from what she's read, and the girl is played by uh, Dakota Fanning. Speaking of Tony Scott, she was in Man on Fire for um, for Tony Scott. So, final movie. Uh, let's, uh, let's hear your views on it, Paul. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Neil Blomkamp. Sorry, it wasn't District Forty. It was District Nine, and he also did uh, the Chappie and uh, Elysium. It's an update. Uh, Clive's a little bit older, but still looks good. The film stock here is much better. We're dealing with HD basically now, um, so it, you've got uh, very clean, bright, brilliant visuals to look at, and it's very much a uh, Blomkamp feel. You know, when you when you start to get into this, it's a bit sci-fi. Hey, can, can I ask you because I I actually don't know anything about the filmmaker, not, not seen him. You know, if favorable in your eyes, or is he too uh, young to have uh, uh, made an impact for you? No, I mean I think uh, District Nine uh, it was a great first film, um, and I think Elysium was kind of ambitious, um, but it still works on on some levels. Um, and is entertaining. And I think that, you know, uh, he knows the science fiction genre. I think he taps into something that's, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty common narrative here. They've got this company called Molgen, which is, I guess, like a sort of off-site or a private company that does cloning. And you've got uh, John uh, Bernthal here, who's playing the Punisher in the Netflix series. He was from uh, The Walking Dead also, the the first couple seasons. Um, He's the big bad here. Our guy, the the driver, he's hired to take Dakota Fanning, who is referred to as number five. So um, I'm assuming she's like the fifth clone in a series here, and get her out the antagonist john here he refers to her as you know number five or as merchandise throughout and he's kind of very one-dimensional bad guy kind of persona that is something that is very indicative of blomkamp's style um especially when i think back to elysium the the villain there he's sort of very 
over the top and very I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you kind of a dimensionality to him. And so it's fine here and because, again, this is a very short piece um, and it works in the context of that. Um, and so, yeah, the, at a certain point, our protagonist, uh, the driver, you know him by now. You kind of know his characterization after you know, so many of these films. You know at a certain point morality is going to kick in, and it does, and the chase ensues. Yeah, and all that's, I think, um, it's all fine and acceptable, as I've said many times, but I, I think it's not a grand return or anything. It's not a pulse-pounding, like, new chapter of the series or anything, uh, but it, it's acceptable. He, uh, Neil gets his exposition dump quickly out of the way through... Um, uh, media uh, telling us of uh, this uh, program you you gotta get it out of the way quickly because it's a short movie i do like that uh, you know there was never any pedestrian work in the hire um you know each scenario stood out in its own its own way and uh, there, there was often anyway a hook and um i always liked when the hook was that the driver turned on his um, observant side a little bit more and and um attempted to make a moral judgment call and uh, because he, he clearly has eyes for in, the, in this one anyway that uh, su- suppressing someone who's uh, awakening up and suppressing someone's soul and humanity is not something he wants to um, uh, be part of uh, suppressing you know so he's never been cold in that way and uh, uh, has made decisions before to, to sort of flip his task and uh, intentions uh, it's always interesting that thing Stylist slick. Uh, I know nothing of uh, of uh, Neil's work, and uh, but it, but it becomes about the scenario. You know, it's supposed to be exciting. The chase of it all is 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 okay. It's certainly not flat or slow, but it. Um, I, I, I'm not seeing the emergence of like, wow, I gotta see the feature features now because this looks promising. And maybe that that's the problem of the short movie format too. That maybe he can't literally bloom as such. I don't know. We'll we'll see when I get to his. Uh, movies uh i like though that he's meeting his match to some degree he's got um he's got someone to fight against here uh even though the character uh the mercenary if you will is not deep or anything but uh he's he's determined for sure so um there's a decent physical nature to the chase of course so they don't abandon that physical nature of the series so the helicopter crash is uh physically executed i, I don't i only think they added the rotor blades of course in um uh, in post-production, so it feels uh, organic, uh, not not exceptional, uh, but uh, capable and uh, you know, middle of the road, literally <laughs> middle of the road, driven for the series. Um, and uh, a highlight being that Clive Owen is back as the driver and acts, uh, you know, for the right reasons and reveals his warmth and um, even ponders if he even should be paid for for something like this. You know, having done it for so many years, he's probably well off by now. Even though we know nothing of him. But uh, I guess it's a shame that we only got one movie. It would have been nice if they got together three directors at the very least. But uh, maybe all people involved are way too busy. And uh, BMW maybe didn't have any interest to produce more than one. Who knows? But um, I I was a little surprised that they only did one, to be honest. Um, I would just say that in the context of all the narratives that we've seen so far, this one falls a bit short for me. Just, I mean, I like, again, the sci-fi angle of it, but really it it felt almost like a carbon copy of Ticker because you basically, you've got a guy who is 
you know, he's got cargo. He's trying to get the cargo to ultimately a better place at, at the end. There's a chase which involves a helicopter and people shooting at him from a helicopter. And then he disables the helicopter by crashing it into a bridge. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's almost <laughs> got the same beats to it um, to an extent, you know. And again, still different. You have different presences here. But I, you know, just when you, I look at it on paper in terms of the, the big beats and the pacing and everything, I just think ah, it's just so similar to Ticker. I, it, you know, could they have gone and done something a little bit different, you know? I mean, and again, the bar being set by Beat the Devil, so that's going to be a hard bar to surpass. And I don't, mean to, to, I don't mean to diminish the stunt work or the effects work in this one at all because it's still good, very good action. It's fun to watch. I mean, here they do a thing where, you know, they flip a semi over, it kind of sets the almost kind of a Mexican standoff sequence at a certain point, which it's in, it's interesting. It's just not as original as I thought it could have been. I agree. Uh, it's a good point. Uh, absolutely. And uh, to repeat some availability, because it applies to season two as well. Uh, these movies, season one, season two, they were and, and season three, of course, now. Uh, these were initially made available for free on bmwfilms.com including the commentaries were on there as well and uh, you could order a free copy that included all the films um, a director's commentary behind the scenes and extended edits of the season one movies chosen and powder cake and uh, the second edition of season one because they were popular so they printed more was included with an issue of vanity fair but by that point the one kawaii short from season one called the follow was removed because the Forrest Whitaker uh, claimed that uh, in his contract it was only uh, it was said that uh, this movie would only be for the internet and not for physical release. But uh, once season one and two were combined in uh, one DVD package, the, the follow was um, was included, so they solved that issue by that point. And you can't get these commercially anymore. And um, secondhand copies are available for as little as twenty US dollars and for as much as 45 maybe more it's uh it's amusing sometimes that it, it's such a difference for like, like, like i don't know how you work but if i see see a used copy of, of a regular dvd I, i'm not afraid that it's going to be a copy that's chewed up by the dog or anything i'm sure it's going to be fine on official youtube channels across uh, across youtube i'm sure you can get all these uh, uh, movies uh, combined uh, without the extras though uh, because bmw films do not host the uh, the entire roster of movies just because the escape is now is now a thing that's on their site but uh, not the old catalog of films so um go around youtube uh, i'm sure you'll find it very very quickly and uh, maybe arranged in uh, playlists and uh, what have you so that is that and uh, that is that for the higher specifically our short film coverage so that was uh, all good fun so thank you for for the assist uh, paul and for your uh, insights and uh, for your enthusiasm because I, I rarely get to talk to people who like tony scott by the way <laughs> because it's always like mm, tony scott like <laughs> all flash and no substance well sometimes why not you know but there is substance i mean i, I don't know i haven't seen the original man of fire maybe that is better but uh, man of fire the tony scott remake gets to me man it's visually interesting and it gets to my little beating heart as well because it's a it's a it's an emotional time at points if you're out there listening asian cinema fans you know 
Come for the John Woo, the Ang Lee, the Wang Kar Wai, and uh, stay for the Tony Scott. For all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including relevant links uh, for this episode, go to podcastonfire.com. And here's up if you thought this uh, was a good um, set of specials, uh, or hit us up on email or Facebook, uh, what you thought of the higher and uh, the Asian talent and uh, the Western talent uh, working this project. So that's me out with the Paul. You got a firm plug for East Screen, West Screen. So the floor is yours. Uh, thank you. Yes, indeed. East Screen, West Screen, where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. So if you like that kind of thing, please check us out at Kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. Good, my friend. Let's uh, let's uh, go rum, 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 and uh, exit this episode, I suppose, uh, or just rewatch Beat the Devil again or something. Uh, but anyway, thank you, Paul. And um, I've been Kennedy, and uh, with me was Paul Fox from East Screen, West Screen. So sign off, sign us out, buddy. Bye bye.